Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. This weekend, some of the uh, women from our church threw a baby shower for Ariel, one of the other women in our church. And I heard that this baby shower was going to be themed around the Chronicles of Narnia. And I impulsively, foolishly, jumped in and piped up and said, Oh, I'll make Turkish delight. It'll be fine. This will be great. I'll make Turkish delight and everybody will enjoy it, and it'll be great. Forgetting, first of all, that Turkish delight is gross. No one likes it. But I thought, in my pride, not... Poorly. As I read the recipes for it, there were all these things about, hey, look, it's really hard to get this out of the dish. I mean, functionally, you're making super thick jelly. Make sure you take care of the pan. Make sure you do this. Make sure you do that. And I thought, what do these people know? I, I will use a silicone baking pan, and that will make every, it'll make it very easy to get this Turkish delight out. Well, on one account, I was right. It was very easy to get the Turkish delight out of the pan. The problem was every time I moved this flimsy baking dish, cracks would form in the Turkish delight. For those of you who don't know, Turkish delight is a candy that is functionally just like more solid jelly covered in powdered sugar. Again, it's not that great. It's a novelty, but I thought it would be clever. But every time I moved this pan, little cracks would form all over the Turkish delight. So when I finally came time to divvy it up and and take it out, it certainly came easily out of this silicon pan. That all of those little fissures, all of those tiny cracks that I had made every time I moved it, made it absolutely impossible to cut in any meaningful way. I got two attempted pieces in and then took my cutting board over to the trash can, dumped it in, and told the people throwing the party, there will be no Turkish delight. There were just these little itty-bitty cracks. They were so tiny. And those are the things that ended up destroying this whole pan of, I calling it candy is giving it way too much credit, of sweet jelly. The same thing is true of our tongue. Our tongue is so small, and yet it has an absolute incredible power. We have seen this unfold in our culture around us. We have seen the way that words are absolutely powerful. How many people in recent memory have lost their job over a tweet? A lot. Think about, think about how many people have needed counseling because the words spoken to us or over us. It's a lot. 
And how many of us have personally hurt someone else by the words that we've spoken? I think that number is more than just a lot of all of us. And we are careless and about the things that we say. And because of that, instead of our words being a, a healing balm, instead of them being the beautiful words of good news, our words are actually a deadly poison to ourselves and to others. Our words are a destructive fire in our lives and the lives of others. We have been working our way through the book of James, James' letter to these churches. And, and he has alluded to how important it is for us to consider the way that we speak. But now at the beginning of chapter three, he really goes for it. And so what I'd like you to do is I'd ask you to stand as I read James 3, 1 to 12. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. So please stand as I read this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. City Church, this James, in his typical fashion, is using uh, simple language and easy metaphors for us to understand. He's, he's still the same kind of blue-collar fisherman um, that he was, blue-collar carpenter that he was when we first meet him in the Gospels. And he begins by saying something about himself. He said, going to be judged more strictly, so be careful. Before you jump in, you should think about it. Why? That verse seems a little bit out of place, does it not? He goes on to talk so much about the tongue, but he starts it off the top with a warning to teachers, which is because what is it that we preachers, we people who speak the words of God do 
If not, use our tongues to do that. He says, all of us sin in many ways. We've all got our own set of problems. But all of us also can agree that the way that we speak is a problem for each one of us. Maybe not in exactly the same way. Maybe not in the same uh, type of problems, but all of us have problems with their speech, that man is perfect. And the idea here is not necessarily perfect as we would think of perfection, but rather the word that James has used so far for complete, for mature. He says, you want to know what a mark of true maturity is? It's someone who is able to be thoughtful about their words. Very simple illustrations. A horse is a big animal. If you haven't sort of been up close and personal with horses, snakes, then ride a horse. This is also probably because I had a very bad experience with the horse when I was a child. We're not going to get into that. It was a bad experience. But the entire horse is controlled simply by the bit simply by that eight or so inch piece of metal that is put in its mouth. And this enormous thing by which we still measure the power of our cars. The same is true of boats. Enormous boats are controlled by a single rudder. Even an aircraft carrier, as big as they are, floating cities, the rudder makes up less than 1% of its total size and yet can turn those entire ships. These little things, the bit, these little things like the rudder have a huge impact. So it is with our tongue. So it is with our tongue. It makes up the worship. That horse could be the messenger of freedom or the herald of doom. Could go either way. Same thing with our tongue. Our tongue can be an incredible way to encourage one another. It can be an incredible good in the lives of those we love and the lives of others. Or, or it can be destructive. And which one of those two is our default? You know. James knows. We all know. Our default is the problematic side of the way we use our tongue. James says, look at how great a fire is set off by so small of a spark. I can't help but think of the wildfires that raged because of a failed um, uh, gender reveal party. How could something so small and so ridiculous result in such an enormous destruction of property? 
The same is true of our tongue. It is so small, but it can create the most enormous of fires in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And our tongue not only affects our whole body, not only affects the way that we live, but it affects the entire course of our life. It's all affected. And then James pulls out his ace. He says, the reason why this is so difficult, the reason why this is such a significant thing is because our tongues are, in James' words, set on fire with the fire of hell. They are a loaded and cocked gun ready to be aimed ready to be fired. We are so quick and easy to sin with our tongue. But think about it. It's not even harbor this. We actually allow it. Even those of us who are Christians, we actually allow and glorify these sort of things. I want to think about this. Uh, three years ago, in the magazine, which is called Greater Good, which is published by the University of Berkeley, they wrote an article aimed at parents called What's So Good About Lying? And their answer was a lot. We not only are harboring lying, but going, oh, no, no, no. Let me tell you of all the good things about lying. Come on, kids, gather around. Let me teach you how to lie. Now, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, you have felt the sting of lies that have hurt you. I'm sure of it. We all have. And is, is simply being nicer, is simply seeking the greater good what's best? Is that enough to keep us from lying, keep us from gossiping, keep us from, from doing so many other things? Or is there something more that we need? I think in order to deal with something this significant, this pervasive, there is something more that you and I need. I mean, think about other ways that we see this, right? We see this in the ways that, in the ways that we treat gossip. We don't just kind of go, oh yeah, I do that sometimes. You know, get a cup of tea and drink the tea, you know. No, no, no. We have, we have the entire like gossip industrial complex, websites and magazines and everything. And we, we click the clickbait, don't we? We do. It shows up on our scroll feeds and yeah, I'm interested in what's happening with that. Yeah, I'll go read that. We do it. We, we not only indulge in gossip, we, we have the industry dedicated to it. We, we not only boast, we build office, we build office cultures where arrogant boasting is the norm, where arrogant boasting is the culture. And not only that, we also look at so many ways that we avoid conflict by just, by just shooing things off with our words. There are so many ways that we in Go, well, I have not clicked on any gossip clickbait this week. 
I have not been arrogantly boastful. I have not, and you go on with your life. Let me remind you how James concludes here. He zeroes in, especially on those of us who are Christians. Throughout the entire book of James, he has been building this case about double-mindedness. At the very beginning, he said, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And then he goes on to say, if you say you're religious, but do not help the widow and the orphan and the oppressed, guess what? Your religion is worthless. If you say that you love your brothers and, and then turn around and curse others, this is not the way. This is a wake-up call. We can't praise God on a Sunday and then go out and curse and call for the death of someone on a Wednesday. We can't come to church and recite our faith and sing praises and then go out and curse others. What James is trying to do is shock us Shock us out of complacency. Shock us out of just going through the motions of not being thoughtful about the words that we say. Our faith should genuinely affect our speech patterns. This should be real in the way that it changes what you say, how you speak, who you speak to. Brothers and sisters, we have a problem. A serious and real problem a problem that I know all too well because I am guilty of it. The same mouth that I use on Sunday mornings at 10.30 to preach is the same one that yells at my children, is the same one that tries to cover over to avoid conflict. It's the same mouth that tries to shy away from speaking the truth when it's difficult. This is a problem in my life. So what do we do? I mean, okay, I think we can all agree this is a problem. Is the answer, is the solution to go take a vow of silence? Should we just be quiet? Well, maybe a little bit. I know some people that I live with that that would be great for. <laughs> but is our answer to this to just not speak? to just not talk at all? Or is there something else? There's something else. And that something else is found in the person of Jesus who consistently used his tongue to speak both love and truth to those around him. I can't help but think of the story in John chapter four with the woman at the well where Jesus was genuinely honest with her. He asks her, where's your husband? And she says, oh, I don't have one. He goes, yeah, that's right. You've had five and now you've got another guy who's not your husband. But he was also so loving when he told her that if you drink the water, which I give you, if you trust in me, you'll never again thirst. And Jesus didn't just do this on occasion where he would meet people and speak love. He did this in the very moment of his death as he was dying there on the cross, as he was taking the punishment for all the things that we have said and left unsaid, did he speak down curses on those who tortured him? He did not. He prayed for them. He prayed for their blessing. He prayed for their 
forgiveness. Church, this is the same sort of thing he does for us. This is the same way that he attends to our lives, speaks to us out of blessing, compassion, and empathy. But the story doesn't end there. It goes on. He continues to talk about this. The the story becomes 53 days later, 53 days after his crucifixion, the disciples are gathered together in the upper room praying. What do we do now? What's supposed to happen? And on that day, which was a day that the Jews celebrated as a holiday called Pentecost, what appeared above their heads as they prayed to God? Tongues. Tongues of fire. And from there, they went out to go and speak the words of good news. Their speech was so transformed that people from all sorts of languages heard them in that miracle. Jesus doesn't just forgive us for the ways that we have double-tonguedness, for the ways that our tongues are forked like a serpent. Jesus just doesn't say, okay, you're forgiven. He sends his Holy Spirit to give us a new way of life. He changes us. He changes our line into faith-filled truth-telling. He changes our our arrogant boasting so that it becomes the humble praise of others. Gossiping is transformed into being quick to speak the good of others. The flattery to get at what you want, the saying what others want to hear in order to avoid conflict is redeemed and it becomes thoughtful, if not costly, honesty. Our outburst of angry words become the gentle answer that turns away wrath. We have seen this comes from abiding in Christ. The way that this transformation happens is the result of dwelling with Jesus, from learning how he speaks, from hearing him speak to us through his word. Because that is the only thing that can quench the fire of hell that lights up our tongue. Let's pray.